Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Welcome to episode 38 of the Motor City Hoops Podcast. Before getting into today's show, I wanted to remind you to go check out episode 37, where I was fortunate enough to be joined by Detroit Pistons beat writer for the Detroit News, Rod Beard. Also, make sure you continue to check out the exit interview series on Detroit Bad Boys, where they have provided a season review for every player on the roster and allowed me to provide some video breakdowns. But today, guys, we have a guest I am absolutely juiced about, Mark Schindler, co-creator, co-host of Premium Hoops, and contributor and podcast host at Indy Cornrows. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me on, Bryce. I'm, I'm psyched to do this. I, uh, I'm very excited for Detroit. Obviously, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed watching the team last year, and you know, kind of seeing how they've grown. At, you know, when I was a kid, and they're still, uh, you know, Josh Smith uh, gets signed in, in Detroit. It's, uh, it's been a long road since uh, the last meaningful playoff appearance, I guess, with with the Chris Weber year. So I'm, uh, I, I'm excited for where Detroit's going, where we're gonna uh, go with things today. Absolutely, man. It should be fun. Before I get going with Mark, I just want to give everybody a quick update on Motor City Hoops. Um, I've decided I'll continue hosting solo, bringing on guests each episode. It seems to be the best direction for the podcast right now as I hope to continue to grow. So I just let you guys know that. And I want to send a special thank thank you to some of you that reached out about helping the show. It was humbling for me to have people reach out. Um, And you may even see some of those people on the podcast as guests in the future. But getting back to this episode, episode. As Mark alluded to, we're going to take a deeper dive, not just into the number one pick and Cade Cunningham, but the entire draft. I'm going to ask Mark about trading back into the first round, some second round prospects he likes, and other intriguing teams in the draft. Um, And of course, we'll talk to Mark about some of the interesting food takes. If you follow him on Twitter, which you should, um, that's kind of his thing on there as well. But first, I want to start with something you just mentioned, Mark. What are your thoughts on the Pistons organization and what they've done over the past 12 months? Yeah, so I, uh, I've i really liked Troy Weaver in, in the direction he's taken the team. Um, you know, obviously the team was kind of miring a little bit. Uh, a little bit's an understatement for, you know, five or six years. Uh, well, obviously longer than that, but, you know, with the iteration of Andre Drummond to Greg Monroe, Josh Smith, like we mentioned, um, it was just the odd direction of the team. And then obviously acquire Reggie Jackson, draft Stanley Johnson, Looks like they have a small core moving forward. That obviously kind of petered out, but um, you know, seeing the way that that Troy handled things last year really made it an effort to go get his guys, and I think he got a lot of blowback for that. Um, I was a fan. I, I don't want to say immediately because that's you know I'm not just hopping on the bandwagon or whatever and trying to be first, but I just thought um, I was really intrigued because he was willing to go outside the the norm, like. Isaiah Stewart selecting him, I want to say it was the 16th pick. 16, yep. Head. Yeah. Um, most of my friends who do draft coverage, I've gotten a lot heavier in a draft coverage this year um, and scouting in general, but I, you know, I had a lot of friends who were worked for scouting firms and, and scouting departments that were kind of shocked that Isaiah went that high last year. And obviously that was the right pick, uh, the way things have worked out. I appreciate his mentality to really do this. And I mean, our, our mutual friend, James Edwards, wrote a fantastic piece, you know, kind of detailing 
Jeremy Grant and his uh, why he chose to go to Detroit. And I think that's another thing you look at. Like, um, I, I think Troy just clearly has an eye for development and uh, finding outlier ways to 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 find uh, avenues of success. And I think you, you saw that with Jeremy this year. And we'll talk about Jeremy more later, I'm sure. But um, overall, I just feel really good about where this roster's headed. And uh, it, for the first time in my ent- my entire life, watching the Pistons. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing with Troy Weaver. I think it makes people a little bit nervous right now with the number one pick, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, but it's he, he has ultimate confidence in who he is as a GM, and I love that. I've, I've talked about that before, that you want a guy who has those relationships, who has a rep for being a talent evaluator, but isn't just going to go with the status quo or the norm or, you know, the consensus. He's going to trust his or maybe him and his staff's ability to scout guys and, you know, not just college guys, but guys in the NBA. You know, the Jeremy Grant signing was was overpay is what people said. Mason Plumley, nobody understood it. Josh Jackson, like none of those signings really made much sense when they happened. And again, I understand we're talking about a team that only won 20 games, but pretty much every move he made other than maybe the Bruce Brown. I know there's some Christian Wood, but every move he made as far as guys he brought in probably exceeded expectations. Yeah, no, I would fully agree with that. And I mean, I think in some ways we've, we've maybe overthought the Bruce Brown trade. Like I, um, I didn't love it at the, at the time. Like that's the only thing that I've really had any real gripe with Troy about, but at the same time too, like, okay, well, if you don't trade Bruce Brown, you're not taking on Josh Jackson eventually and, you know, creating some of the space that they had from that. Um, so I get it. Like, it makes sense. It, It works out. Okay. Um, and ultimately it's just kind of like, you know, it, it wasn't Troy's guy. Like, I mean, Bruce was not Troy's guy, so it makes sense to move on from him in some ways. Um, I totally lost my train of thought, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's so with Bruce Brown, I think one thing that people, I don't know, overlook a little bit is I think now he's in a role that fits him better than what he would be doing in Detroit. And I'm not saying that eventually we won't have the guys around him to fill that role. And then Rod Beard on the previous episode brought up a good point. Some of those moves were about money. And Troy, t- not only did he overturn the roster, give hope and excitement, obviously getting the number one pick adds a lot of that as well. But he put us in a pretty good cap situation as well. Not immediately, not right now, but starting next offseason. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think in some ways the cap can be overrated, um, especially when you're not a team that's trying to contend right now, which is why... You know, a lot of people, A, I didn't think Jeremy Grant was overpaid even with the, uh, without, like, even if he hadn't made the improvements he made last year, I didn't think he was overpaid. Like, he's a 3-4 who can attack off the catch, who can shoot and play high-level defense. Like, that's, maybe it's a lot of money, uh, but I didn't, I didn't particularly think he was overpaid. The Mason Plumlee deal got clowned, and I didn't really understand that. Like, Mason Plumlee's a solid player. I think you saw how much they missed him last year when he was out for time, um, and I really liked bringing him in as somebody who could play alongside Killian. And of course, we didn't get to see that as much last year because Killian got injured. But like, point being, like, I, I just I, you could see the the idea behind it de- developmentally. Like, it wasn't just like, like I think you saw a lot of Troy analyzing how other teams had rebuilt and applying that to how he was going to do it. Because I think one of the things you can look at is like, uh, you know, the process. I, I think with the process, they they really lacked having veteran guys on the team who were still capable of playing at a, at a decent level 
to help uh, grow the players around them. It's like even looking at G League Ignite right now, like having Amir Johnson, having Jared Jack on the roster, those are guys who know how to be pros and also how to you know help guys get into the right situation. And I think you know signing a guy like Mason Plumley, well, it's not sexy. Um, I think you know he's a, a real, he's a very good screener. He's a good role man. Uh, he's just a smart player overall. And I think that's like the kind of guy like, okay, yeah, it's not perfect, but if you can sign him to play alongside Killian Hayes, maybe that helps him developmentally. Um, and I'm hoping we'll see more of that this year. But um, yeah, like I, I just think some of the moves got over scrutinized in, in the wrong way. Absolutely. And I mean, just to Mason Plumley, and, and I, I like to give Mason Plumley a hard time on here. I, I'm, yeah, you know, he's, I, a, he's a tough watch sometimes. Well, the, uh, and, the, the reverse reverse dunks <laughs> and layups are enough for me. But. Well, and I, I'm known as a Duke hater uh, around these parts. And Respected, so, it, man. I, yeah. <laughs> awesome. But um, so... But that's a like like you say. If he ends up here for two years, year and a half, two and a half years, one is not taking up that much much cap space. It's helping the team develop, and then you're probably going to eventually trade him for some asset also. So in, in the big picture, it, it's not a bad situation whatsoever. Hopefully, he can help guys grow. He's not taking minutes away from guys who aren't ready. I mean, Isaiah Stewart, we all love him. He's my favorite player on the roster, but he's not ready to start and play 38 minutes a night, you know, or 36 minutes a night. So having another guy there is not a bad. Now I have made the case and this will lead us into the draft um i've made a case for a different type of five man and i would understand that but we'll get to that in a second let's start at the top here mark the draft when we're recording this is what two days away from when we're recording this on tuesday july 27th detroit um has the number one pick what are your thoughts on Cade cunningham um well i think before I even echo my thoughts, I mean, we saw today, I don't know if you saw the report, um, or it might have been middle, it was close to the middle of the night last night, um, reported by, I think it was Matt Babcock from over at Basketball News, um, who does a lot of great scouting stuff, uh, that the sixth pick in Shea Gilgis Alexander had been uh, offered to the Pistons and they turned it down. And that's, um, I think a lot of people will look at that and be like, are you crazy? How do you not take that deal? Um, I think that speaks to the value of Cade Cunningham. And I would, I mean, I like it's a, it's certainly a deal you think about because Shea Gilgis Alexander is a fantastic player, but like I think Cade Cunningham is going to be that good. Um, so that's a good intro to my, my thoughts on him. Like um, everything that everyone has done to try and poke holes in Cade Cunningham's game has just kind of strengthened my resolve on him. Like I, I posted a clip last week when I was going back and watching some stuff, I was actually watching, I want to say I was watching, um, I think I was watching Baylor play. Um, and Oklahoma state was playing them obviously. So of course I'm going to watch K two, And he has this, uh, it's an inbounds play with, I think a second and a half left on the clock in the first half. And he throws a lob as the inbounder for like 40 feet, um, leads his man, or it's more like a back, back, back shoulder fade, um, perfect catch, you know, ties the game up. Um, and there were people in the comments like, oh, well, that's that's just a better catch by the, 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 the receiver than a pass. Like, it could have been a turnover. I'm like, but number one, the audacity for him to try that, the ball placement in general for it to not be a turnover. Like, yeah, the guy has to catch it. But, like, he's just he makes plays that there are very few guys in the NBA who can do, and especially at his size. Um, like, he came in from being kind of a non-shooter in high school or a struggling shooter, I should say, to – a guy who is shooting, you know, 40% off the dribble on high volume on really difficult looks. Um, he's going to be a plus defender in the NBA. Uh, his court vision is insane. He's got really, really fantastic feel for the game. 
Um, like we're talking about a guy who I think by the end of his rookie contract is maybe being mentioned as an all-star. I mean, not maybe like he's definitely being mentioned as an all-star, like he's going to be that good. Um, and that's not me just trying to talk out of my ass. Like, I just think, um, in some ways we have really overthought things with it. Like he is very, very, very good. Um, and part of it is just, he's not like a super brash, loud player. Like he does all of his talking with his game, which that's not the fault. Somebody who, who does a lot of talking on the court. Like I, I respect both guys, but I do think in some ways, if a guy is not very vocal on court or, or really flashy, we kind of use that against them. And, um, same thing with Evan Mobley, like, like both guys are going to be incredible, incredible NBA players. Um, I'm so excited for Cade, man. Like, I, I honestly think you can look at this Detroit team and say that there's a chance that they're vying for, like, a playing spot next year because of how he could elevate the roster. Yeah, that's – I mean, I think he's a perfect fit. And I've said that, that Jalen Green um, is a perfect fit for this roster. And we will talk about Jalen Green in just a minute. But the more I've heard about Cade Cunningham – and obviously I watched him. I, I, I'm one of those that kind of – I say I stay in my lane. So I, I talk to guys like you and Richard Salmon at Mavs Draft and Bryce Hendricks and all these different guys. CJ Marchesani, who's coming on next episode – or in a couple episodes. I, I stay in my lane and, and listen to those guys, guys like you who have really scouted those. And the more I hear about Cade, the more I'm like, no, he's the perfect fit because he can play so many roles. He can be the two. He can be the primary ball handler he could be a small ball four if you really wanted him to so like he just fits so many things which makes everybody else around it makes their jobs easier and they can just do what they're best at so we talked a little bit about how people are trying to take apart pick apart his game the lack of elite athleticism to me sounds like it's been the one that's brought up the most I guess if is that the thing for you if there was a question is it that or does that concern you whatsoever not really um like, I think I understand it. Like, I think a lot of people, I mean, just to pull, you know, Pistons of the past. Like, I think a lot of people look at a wing and they want to see a guy like Jerry Stackhouse or Grant Hill who can yam it on you. And it's not like Cade's not going to pull out some highlight dunks every now and again. He's not like an elite of the elite ath- ath- athletes, but like he is a plus athlete at six seven. He's a better athlete than Luka Doncic. And point being like I mean there is nuance to Luka Doncic as an athlete like he's a very like he's incredibly strong like I, I don't think enough people give him credit for that like um there are kind of comparisons to me between him and Joe Johnson and like their their kind of athleticism and how they um they create separation without being you know bursty or, or, or extremely acceleration dominant so like I think you can look at that and it's important to note there are different kinds of athleticism so I think with Cade like um he, he's not like a great first step guy, but his dribble is so good that it doesn't matter as much. And especially, too, because of being able to to bend the defense the way that he can now as an off-the-dribble shooter, it doesn't really matter as much because of how much space he's creating um, and the way that he's stretching the floor. Uh, like, he's just able to – and, I mean, like, if he's a guy like, okay, if he's six foot four, six foot five, with the same athleticism, then you have concerns. But – I mean, at six seven, with his his ability to see over a defense, um, it's just not something that I'm really worried about. So with Kate, you know, one thing that I always was most impressed with his passing, his vision, the way he created for teammates. Even though at Oklahoma State, again, you guys have heard me say this, that listen to episodes. I don't, I don't mean to knock his teammates, but he didn't play with great floor spacers there at Oklahoma State. But the more I talk to people, the more it seems like people look at him as a scorer. Am I overvaluing him as a creator, as an initiator in his passing ability? Because I thought that's what he, if there was like an elite of the elite skill, that's what I thought it was. Am I wrong about that? No, I don't think you're wrong at all. Like, I think, um, 
to me, they kind of go hand in hand. Like, uh, so the playmaking on its own and the, 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 the court mapping, just the vision overall are what makes him special. The fact that he scores the way he does and can score the way he does is what elevates his game even more because you have guys like, um, like just for example, you could look at somebody like Joe Ingles, who is a fantastic player, has great, great playmaking sense, uh, but he doesn't have the dribble. He doesn't have the athleticism and he doesn't have the scoring package to really fully take advantage of it. But you look at Cade, Cade has the athleticism, he has the handle, and he has the scoring to open up everything else for him as a playmaker. So, like, if he has the kind of, like, I think you have to look at it in terms of having, like, playmaking ability and, and scoring gravity, and they kind of multiply with one another. So if you have real scoring gravity, that opens up what you can do as a playmaker because of how you're going to bend a defense. So I think, like, they kind of have to be talked about hand-in-hand hand because the playmaking is the most important part because you just cannot really teach that or rep that out if i remember correctly you do coaching stuff so like i'm sure you're aware like you just can't really teach a guy how to see the court like it is just so hard to do that you you, it it just it happens like i don't really have a great way to explain it but we just know from watching like there's a reason why andrew wiggins doesn't see the court super well there's a reason why colin saxon doesn't see the court super well like it's not that they're not trying it just that's how it is um and with Cade, he has that on top of being an elite scoring prospect so um, yeah, that's funny. You say that I've, ha- I've had that conversation about Sadiq Bay and I've said you, you can watch film. You can try to do a drill I, as a coach. I've tried to set up drills and teach kids and I, I, it's hard. Like, like you said, it's, it's hard to explain. I've explained is like, if you go to, you know, any person in the world has a better or not, not any, all people have better awareness than other people. So you may have better awareness of where everybody's at in the room and the distance between you and that person and you and this person as a, uh, you know, compared to myself. So to me, that's how it is on the basketball floor too. It's just multiplied because everything's happening so fast. And like you said, I think it's hard to teach that. And so, but what, I like what you brought up with Joe Ingles because I think sometimes we undervalue guys like him. Like he is a really good passer and a student of the game and has a b- high basketball IQ, but he just doesn't necessarily have the physical tools or the all-around game to showcase it, which leads me into Killian Hayes because I think that's part of Killian Hayes' thing is where he doesn't look to score the ball, then all of a sudden you don't see those flashes of passing and playmaking as much because he's always looking to pass. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's such a great point. Um, like he's really just not comfortable enough as a scorer right now, which was something frustrating from last year. And it's part of the reason why I'm interested to see how things work with Cade now being there like is Killian still gonna and this is not to say that it's bad that 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 Kate is coming in it just um it changes up how you're looking at the development for Killian like I think it, it kind of you, you want to see him speed up his development in the way that he's going to function next to somebody else um I still am really high on Killian like he had a rough rookie year but I think he had bright flashes as the year went on uh but like you're mentioning like it's uh you really need to see him being more willing to attack um and I'm hoping like him taking stuff as, you know, in a more secondary approach um, will help him, you know, playing off of Cade. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, like looking at, in terms of looking at athleticism, like they're kind of um, like Killian's a guy who doesn't have that elite athletic, athleticism either. And he's somebody I'd be a little bit more concerned about with it because, you know, you see some of the deficiencies that, that he has in terms of, you know, getting to the rim isn't necessarily his biggest issue, but um, you know, it, you, you see some of those things play out more in a smaller player. 
Absolutely. So let's move on just a little bit. We'll stay kind of in this in this realm with the number one pick. But you brought up the trade that was I don't know if to say it was reported, it's brought up, been talked about. Um, so the one that has really come up on Pistons Twitter, I, I put a poll out, is the OKC trade, so SGA. And what if they were able to get up to number two or three? My opinion is you have to make that deal at that point because that means you're getting SGA and then Jalen Green and, uh, or Evan Mobley. So let's talk about those two guys. Like, What, what is it about Jalen Green? Because this is a guy that I think, I hate to say it this way, but Pistons fans are worried that Troy Weaver is going to actually draft instead of Kate Cunningham. Kate Cunningham, what what do you like about Jalen Green's game? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I would agree if there's a trade that materializes for SGA in the second overall pick or third overall pick, like that, I think you take that. Uh, but there's just a big drop off from three to six um, in terms of Jalen Green. Uh, he's somebody who, like, he has the. Uh, or like in theory is going to be a guy who has the uh, real ability as a a scorer with his scoring gravity. Like I think you saw with G League Ignite the ability to create space in a way that Cade Cunningham doesn't, frankly. Like, but that's because Jalen Green is the best scoring prospect in the draft. Like, um, like he's a guy who probably would have gone number one last year. He's that good. Um, I think you look at his body, the way he's able to create things like he still has a lot to fill out, which is kind of one of the concerns with him. I think he's like 178 or 180, but he's six, six. Like that's, um, you know, there's a lot there in terms of building on his frame. That's going to need to happen. But uh, in terms of guys who are willing to to do just about anything, Jalen is up there. Like he's the guy who like, like when you're talking about someone who's an elite athlete, um, he doesn't have like an elite first step, but he has a, crazy good first step like it's not the best i've ever seen but it's very good um the handle still has a lot of work to do but i find that encouraging because even with the handle not being great he's still able to do so much um and it's not easy to to just build out a handle but i think that's something that you're hoping comes with time um and just more repetitions and part of the reason why it'll be better for him to go to a team that isn't ready to win right now is that he's going to get more reps with the ball in his hands um, I've been a little bit worried with comps for him because a lot of people like just compare him to um, like classic scorers who aren't like, I think he's been com- compared to Bradley Beal a lot. And I, I kind of don't, yeah. And I, I don't, I don't hate it, but I just hate the insinuation between it uh, behind it in some ways. Cause I think that's like leads people to be like, Oh, well, how can he be the best player on a good team if he's Bradley Beal or, or Devin Booker? And I just, I, I fight back on that because I think every, developmental situation is different you know will will guys have similarities they're not going to be quite the same but there is a lot in that same mold of he's a guy who he's got a really high release point he's able to 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 pull up from two pull up from three like he's showing creation off the dribble from there um and it's just going to be can he leverage that into being a playmaker and that's that's a really tough thing to do i don't know if that's going to happen but i think he, maybe he'll get to a level of playmaking where he is one of the better players on a title team and I, I don't like looking at it that way necessarily but in terms of just um what he could be as a prospect like he could be your, your best player on a team um but he definitely could be the leading scorer on a team like if he's a guy who's averaging you know 20 25 points per game in his prime that would be that sounds about right to me um and in terms of like we mentioned earlier, like when I mentioned Grant Hill and and Jerry Stackhouse is the guy that like if you're a Pistons person looking at like an athlete to draft like that same vein of athleticism, like he is he absolutely t- destroyed 
the G League with with some of the dunks he unloaded. I don't know how much you've seen of him, but his uh, the way he attacks the rim is what I find most encouraging about him. Um, like he has to work on his craft at the rim a little bit, but um, when he, like the 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 way that he gets there is uh, is pretty impressive to me. Yeah, no, I've seen enough. I've watched some games and then highlights and again, breakdowns and stuff. And so you, the, the athleticism definitely, you know, jumps off the page too. So real quick or off the screen, not the page, I guess, real quick, just before we move to the Pistons and the three second round picks they have and what they could possibly do with that. You know, we haven't talked a lot about Evan Mobley. I don't want to get into Evan Mobley necessarily because I do want to move to those second round picks. But who do you have higher between Jalen Green and Evan Mobley? So let's say somehow they this trade did happen and they ended up at two or or whatever. Would which which prospect do you have higher? I have Evan Mobley higher, um, but I also think like a lot of people have made it out like, oh, you know, it would be a mistake to draft um, Jalen Green over Evan Mobley. And I don't think it's that cut and dry. Like I think that. They're both really good prospects. I think Evan Mobley is clearly the better one, but I would understand if a team took Jalen over him, uh, just because maybe it's easier for them to to look at developing him out or, or you know rounding out their team with him. And I think that's how Houston looks at it, um, apparently based off you know the reporting we've gotten. Um, but I would say I would draft Evan for sure. Like even with like I think Evan Mobley is just like a lot of people look at him in terms of oh he's just a big. Um, why would I draft a big second overall? And it's just, it's different. Like, I think we've seen over the last probably five years is how I would put it. Um, we've seen how the big position has really changed. And I would just say it's been, it's become harder to to, to stay on the court as a big. And he is like one of the um, real uh, quintessential next wave of big prospects, in my opinion. Like, there are a lot of guys coming up who are going to have ball skills who can hang on the perimeter both on offense and defense. Um, and, like, I mean, he's the guy coming up that's going to be like that. And there's, like, I mean, you can look forward, like, Paolo Benchero and um, Victor Wembignana, who's even, even to a higher higher degree. But um, he's he's not just a big. Like, he's a guy who I think you could start next to Isaiah Stewart. Like, it, it would be a little bit wonky, but, like, I think that's doable. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, that's what I think a lot of people don't, I don't want don't see or haven't haven't seen or don't believe in Evan Mobley's game is that he isn't just your old school big you know that there is a at least an upside or the potential for a little bit more of I don't want to say a perimeter player but like you say to to play alongside an Isaiah Stewart if we did end up with Evan Mobley that he has a little more skill to his game than I think what a lot of people want to give him credit for yeah yeah exactly like I mean he's a fantastic passer I don't think he's going to be like a bam or sabonis level of of post hub player but i think he's a guy who's like i mean if he's out on the perimeter making inside out i mean outside in plays i think he's capable of doing that i think he's capable of reading from the inside and, and, and kicking out like he's a guy who can average like four or five assists per game uh in the height of his career and the, of course you know the numbers are arbitrary but like just to give a gauge like i think he's that good um like he can run the break with the ball at, at seven feet tall which is pretty impressive um and I think defensively is where I'm most excited about him. Like a lot of people will watch the defense and be like, oh, well, he's too skinny or he's one of the things that's been really frustrating has been some of the discourse that he, you know, quote unquote, doesn't want it or isn't uh, isn't forceful enough on the court. And I just I struggle with that because I think we way overuse body language as a determinant of if somebody wants something. Um, and I think we saw some of the same stuff with Cade this year, like because like I mentioned earlier, like he's not a super vocal guy on court. Um, he doesn't really talk trash. Um, but like that, that's I mean, 
you have to look at the results. Like Evan Mobley was awesome this last year at USC. He's a fantastic rim protector, um, can get out a little bit. Um, or more than a little bit, like he can switch out. Um, he does have a really high base. Like there are things he has to work on. And I think a lot of people, like one of the hangups with him is like, well, how is he going to defend in the post? I'm like, well, I'm really only worried about him defending, you know, okay, he's not going to be able to defend Joel Embiid and he's not going to be able to defend Nicole Jokic, but, but who in who the does? NBA can. <laughs> exactly. So like if, if that's the reason for you not drafting him, I think that's um, that's incorrect. And I also would say too, as much as I'm liking where Detroit's at, I just don't think they're in a place right now to – say, well, we're going to draft Jalen Green because he fits our core better. Like, I like Isaiah Stewart a lot, but I also don't think that, you know, that we're in, we're one year into Isaiah Stewart. I don't think that there's enough there, uh, even with, like, even with Jeremy. Like, I, I don't think you can just be like, oh, well, I think, I don't know what this looks like with Jeremy next to him, so we're not going to draft him. Like, I think Detroit's still in a, a phase of wanting to be um, that higher level team, Um so I, I just don't think you can make things based off of fit entirely. But, I mean, if, if, if they had the opportunity to get Evan Mobley, he would be a fantastic pick. Yeah, and that's what – I mean, it's acquired talent still for the Pistons, which, which leads me to the three second-round picks. So I've, I've been very open about this, Mark. I want them to trade back into the first round. I want them to get into the early 20s because I think there's great value in this draft in the early 20s, maybe even the mid-20s, depending on how guys fall. One, I guess I'm going to ask a couple questions here and then you can kind of answer it, but they, they all kind of lend themselves the same. Is there a chance they could pull that off? Who are a couple teams you could see that maybe would be willing to or wanting to trade out? And how high could they get? And who's a player in that range? So I know that's a lot there to digest, but essentially, could it happen? Who would it be with? And, and who are some players in that range? Yeah, Um so in terms of teams that are probably wanting to trade out, I'm curious. Like, I feel like Utah is going to want to trade out, but that's 30. So I don't know. Um, I feel like the Clippers kind of need this pick because they're they're mostly strapped alongside the cap. So, you know, this pick, it, it will count against it a little bit. But I think you they had to have a chance to get a guy who could be a role player for them uh, in their core. Um, maybe you could look at Houston. I mean, Houston has has both 23 and 24. Maybe there's a way to trade for one of those picks. And I know they've been trying to move up. So I don't know how you're making that happen. But overall, like if there's enough of a deal for them, like maybe there is a way to do it. Um, man, who else? I mean, I think New York. New York has two back end picks and it, it seems like they've been trying to move up. If you can give them the assets to move up, maybe they are willing to move off a pick. Um, but it really is just going to depend. Um, I haven't seen any reports on on teams around the, the 20s that are super interested in, in moving away from their picks, but um, those are the teams I would look at. In terms of guys who are going to be available, let me pull up my big board really quick. Um, so I think if you're drafting at the back end like that, you just want to take, and especially with the teams that right now, like you want to take guys who just have a lot of talent and, and try and see what you can do with that. So if you're in like mid 20s um, and just thinking about the roster right now, like you probably I mean, I like Saban Lee a lot. I like their guard position right now quite a bit, but I think they would want like maybe another small wing because um, I don't know. 
Uh, is Josh Jackson a, a free agent? Nope. I can't so, remember off the top of my yeah. head. So, J- so Josh Jackson has one more year. That's actually okay. a guy who I think could play into this as far as being attached to get back into the first round. Yeah, because that's seconds. what I've wondered because he's, he's expiring and he looked good last year. I mean, he had good flashes. I liked his growth a lot. It was probably his best best year of his career, actually. Yeah, but. I mean, and the thing is, he's a Detroit guy, and you know, yeah, so and, uh, yeah, Diallo is up for extension, not extension for so, it, and they have just an awkward fit together too. But, um, well, yeah, I mean, I think you could look at just getting a more more versatile forwards in the roster, getting another wing. So, like, there's guys like I'm higher on him than I think general consensus, but like Kessler Edwards out of Pepperdine um, is so good, man. Like, he is. Fantastic team defender who's going to be a quality on-ball defender as well and can hit shots off movement already. Um, like, he's got a very, very weird shot form. Like, I'm sure as a coach, you've seen his form, and you're like, whoa, what is happening here? Um, like, it does not look pretty, but the sample size is so massive on it that I'm just convinced at this point, like, okay, he is a 38 to 39% three-point shooter if it goes in, on man. versatility. Exactly. Like, at some point, you just have to say, okay, maybe we're going to tweak it a little bit. I would be worried if a team thinks they have to rebuild the shot because I don't think you do. Um, but he's a guy who I look at and like, okay, he could be a useful rotation player if you're trading back in there. And I mean, maybe if you want to take a higher swing, you look at somebody like Josh Christopher who has some real field concerns and and what that means for him moving forward. I'm not really sure. But like in terms of raw athleticism and scoring ability, He's fantastic. Like I think he shot seventy four percent at the rim this year, and he's six foot four, which is kind of ridiculous. But he is not a good passer. Um, he really struggles defensively, and he's just kind of a. Uh, I really hate like sometimes if a player is disengaged, people say they're not working hard. I think sometimes it's just like like we were talking about with um, seeing the court earlier. Like Colin Sexton's not a great passer, and he doesn't see the court well. But that doesn't mean he's a selfish player. That's just. Some guys have zonal vision and they don't see things. That's kind of where I'm at with Josh Christopher. But I also would say he's not somebody who I think Detroit should really go after because they, I think they're, I don't want to say that they're set in finding scoring, but it would just be hard to get him those real developmental reps. Um, I think it would be interesting too for them to take a swing on somebody like Kai Jones. Like, okay, I, that, oh, I'm so glad you brought that one up because, like, so I've seen him really high. So my guy Bryce Hendricks and Stone I'm very Hill. low on Kai. Okay, so to that, be honest, so that's, that, that's, that's why I would have him here. Okay, that's what I was gonna say because those guys are really high on him. But I don't think it's kind of like Jeremiah Robinson Earl with uh, Richard Stamen is he has him as 13 on his big board. But even he'll say him say himself, there's no way he's gonna go that high. I don't think Kai Jones is go- probably going in the lottery. What do you think? Um, I think it's possible. I know he slipped a little bit recently. Um, it's definitely possible he goes in the lottery, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he falls out and goes in the 20s. And what like, is if, his rim protection like, though, Mark? His rim protection is weird to me because, like, he's a guy who can he can really block shots um, and he sees things well, but he's, like, very much on that same vein of Josh Christopher as a guy who, like, um, the flashes are so awesome for him, but the lowlights are way more often... Um, he's a guy who really needs more time to develop, which is why it would be interesting for him in, in Detroit. Um, like you could bring him off the bench and, and have him try and grow into things, but he is, he's, he's going to be a legit rim protector. He can get out on the perimeter. Like he's going to have to probably, uh, like there are some things with his body that you want to see him strengthen up a little bit. Um, he's flashed a little bit of self-creation and can shoot like the idea is he's going to be a guy who can shoot. He has some interesting passing flashes too. Um, but again, like he is very much so like uh, a uh, a flyer, I think would be the way to put it. Like 
you're not entirely sure. Like you, you have to have a real developmental plan with him. And I think based on how Detroit handled this season, I would be pretty confident in saying that they would have that with Kai. So he's somebody I would be willing to swing on if I'm them. Well, and it seems like we're starting to assemble a staff, a coaching staff, a developmental staff, that, that that's what it's about. Like, again, I think you talked about this and I forgot to mention it too. You talked, like, Troy Weaver has a vision and that's what's so exciting to me as a, somebody that watches the Pistons, talks about the Pistons, everything else is there's this vision. And we're, I don't feel like the Detroit, the Pistons are in limbo anymore. So that's why I do have a little bit of faith that we're going to be able develop these guys so if you take a flyer on Kai Jones and I you know by the time it's the 20s I don't know that it's a flyer it's probably good value at that point um I I like the the chances that we are able to develop him after what we saw from our rookies last year what about a a couple guys and then we'll move to the true second round but like Bones Highland Trey Murphy the third those are a couple names I really like I've heard more and more about do you have them kind of in this range or would they fall into that second round talk uh, yeah, so I have both of them around here. I'm lower on Trey Murphy the third than most people. Um, it seems like he is really going to end up going lottery. Like yeah. he's really skyrocketed he's since flying, the right? I personally like not to be rude, but I just I don't see it. Like I am I'm not understanding him lottery personally. Like I think he's a guy who could have a really nice lengthy career. Um, but I just think he's more of like a three and D prospect. Like I, I don't I don't really trust him a lot off the off the bounce right now. I think Kessler Edwards is a better shooter currently and. Well, that, well, I think Trey Murphy probably ends up as a better defender. Like, I just think Kessler is going to be a better player coming in right away, and on his rookie deal will be better. And I think there's a chance that he just has a higher ceiling than than what Trey does because Trey has a lot to work on still. Like, he's just a really weird case because I, I didn't watch him at Rice. Obviously, like he was a six three guard when he got to Rice and grew immensely in six foot nine now uh, after playing in Virginia, but like. He's a really rigid shooter. Like, he's a good shooter, but everything is off catch and shoot. Like, he can come off a screen, but has to be squared up. Like, he's not a guy who, like, he can do a little bit of movement stuff, but it's not really um, the a fluidity super of the shots. Shot. Not yeah, there. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think if you're a team who, like, thinks that you can really help him grow into his body and find some of that flexibility that just is non existent in his upper body right now, maybe you feel better about him. And maybe that's why teams are comfortable drafting him higher. But I'm not really super there. I think he's still a good value pick in the first round. I just don't, I'm not there with lottery. Like if, if I'm in the lottery, I want to take a swing on somebody who I think is going to have the ball in their hands or be just a really high impact player. Um, As far as Bones Highland, I love Bones Highland. A, I mean, the name is awesome. Like there's like one of the game, one of my favorite games I watched, uh, West Virginia played uh, Western, not Western Kentucky. Uh, Western, I did, they did play Western Kentucky, but West Virginia played uh, VCU. So it was Deuce McBride versus Bones Highland for one of my favorite prospect name games. Um, and Bones is just so good, man. He's uh, he had a, like a really weird background where he, I want to say he jumped out of a burning building um, and like shattered one of the bones in his legs. So. I think there's something, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, like one of his leg bones is like a little bit longer than the other due to some really funky growth stuff. But that's led to him having just like this crazy outlier flexibility that allows him to create space like absolutely crazy. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to be a starter, but in terms of a guy who's going to score and score well, creating for themselves and playmaking a little bit too, like I think Bones is definitely one of those guys, and I'm I'm higher on him. Like I would ha- I would be comfortable taking him in the top twenty. Like I think he's that good, um, and I think he's gonna have a really long career as somebody who's gonna be an efficient bench player. 
Um, and I think like that's kind of a guy who I think Detroit could definitely utilize. Like I think they've pretty much rounded out what their starting five is going to look like. And I think you're starting to look now, like obviously like bringing in guys like Hamadou and, and Josh Jackson, you're trying to find that, that, that bench score. And I think there was, there were times when that guy was there, like I, Hami's time in Detroit was kind of up and down and Josh sort of the same, but like you saw how impactful it was for them when they had that guy off the bench. And I think Bones is somebody who could grow into that. Absolutely. So real quick before we move on to um, around the NBA and some other things, I want to just I just give me a name and just a short, you know, one sentence about the guy. So let's go second round guys that you're a fan of. And I want to talk about specific fits with the Pistons. So in the second round, we need a, a shooter. Who's the best shooter in the second round? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I think there are two names that I would bring up. One is going to be Joe Wieskamp, who I am lower on the consensus. I know he moved into like back into the first round for some people. I'm not there. Um, like he's solid, but I think there's it, it's not as complete as I think people think. I actually think Sam Hauser um, out of Virginia is a better shooting prospect. Um, he's a little bit if I remember correctly, he's a little bit older than Wieskamp, but he just had like a 50, 40, 90 season. He can do things that aren't just shooting, and he's a better movement shooter overall. Um, like, I think if he's in an insulated place, like if there's good rim protection and he's not going to be asked to defend people on an island, like he has good in- instincts and help. He- he's just not a very good athlete, to be honest. Um, I actually am probably going to end up having Hauser over Wieskamp on my board just because I trust like his overall ability more. Like I, I like guys who are able to come in and like, obviously, you know, they're going to tone down and become specialists in the NBA. And there are guys who are specialists already coming in that you're still going to be high on. But I like guys who are coming in with versatility already because that just means like, all right, well, if, if there's seven seconds on the shot clock and you get run off the line, what are you doing? Um, so I like Sam Hauser a lot. He would probably be my guy for sure. And he would make sense. His brother played at Michigan State. Definitely not as good as Sam, but still a quality player. But yeah. Okay. What about a vertical, uh, a big threat? So vertical, like either blocking shots, catching lobs in the pick and roll, or a combination of both. That is easily Jericho Sims okay. out of Texas. <laughs> I was um, hoping. I was hoping that's the name we were going to get. I love Jericho Sims, man. Uh, so that's what's so crazy to me about Kai Jones. Like, um, I like Kai Jones a lot, and obviously he has more potential. But like Jericho Sims is a guy who. If you tell me that Jericho Sims has a better NBA career than Kai Jones, I think that's possible. Um, mostly because I think Sims is coming in, he's going to be really good uh, as a obviously in his role, but also like Kai, just there's that much potential for him kind of struggling to to, to latch on in the NBA. But Sims is like already a very good shot blocker. He can move his feet well on the perimeter, and he's an awesome role threat. A very good vertical threat, good lob catcher. Um, and I just like his game overall. I mean, we saw how crazy that dunk was with, uh, I think it was for, was it Clutch? I think it was the Clutch Pro Day. Um, yeah, he's he's Looking fantastic. down at the rim, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I think I'm in, I'm sold 100%. There's a couple things I want to happen after Cade, obviously, trading back into the first, and then I want to end up with Jericho Sims in the second round. Like, I'm just yeah, kind of sold on that. he would be a good that. fit. I like him. Um, and then last one before we move on. I feel like I see you tweeting about international prospects. So if I take you off guard here, I apologize. But I feel like you have a, a decent feel. What if we need well, – let's say we end up with three second-round picks where we can't uh, find a spot for all those guys. So who's a draft and stash prospect in the second round that you would like? Uh, a draft and stash guy. Well, I don't know who's going to – like I think a lot of the international prospects who stayed in 
are not going to stash and they're okay. going to come over. Okay. Um, so a lot of them left. A lot of those type of guys. Yeah. Like, a lot so my guy out, was right? Rocco Percussion. Yes, like yes. I had Rocco Percussion top 10 in the draft and he withdrew, which was sad. But, um, uh, there, well, okay. This is, I don't have a great answer. I'm not a huge Varenz Blasienberg guy. Um, like he's, he's interesting, but I think he's, it's really hard for me to see him translating to the NBA unless he becomes an awesome shooter. Um, I like Santi Aldama a little bit. He played. He had a really weird year because he played at. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, he played. It was in the uh, Patriot League, so it's like playing against like Navy and American. So he didn't play against like awesome competition. Um, was he the Loyola guy? Yes, yes, it was Loyola Maryland. So, so I. Um, I mean, that's the league I played in, but Loyola wasn't in the league whenever I played there. Oh, okay. So I played at American. Yeah. Oh, okay. No way. Uh, that's awesome, man. I didn't realize that. Well, he he's interesting because like so like I don't know if you followed that league that much this year, but like they only played in conference play, so I think he played like fourteen games this year, and like six were but, probably the same. Or, like yeah, against the he, three like, they, same teams, they literally just played like three games in a row against the same opponent, and it's just really weird. Um, I uh, he actually would be a draft and stash tax if I read things correctly. I don't know if it's fully decided. I think he's gonna go back and he's from Spain, and I think he's gonna play in Spain this next year. But he's still relatively young, so I think he'd be like 21 when he comes over. But he's a guy who like he has some passing versatility. He's not like a crazy amazing passer, but for somebody six foot ten or six foot eleven, like he has something. He's not immobile at his size, but he's going to be a one positional defender. Like you're hoping to stick him on a uh, you know just a non shooter in the or a shooter in the corner or something. Um, he's not really a rim protector. Uh, like the goal is like he's just hopefully going to be neutral because he's big. Um, but offensively, like he takes a ton of threes and as long as the three sticks for him, like I believe in him, like he's not an awesome guy inside the arc. He doesn't have a ton of, uh, a ton of lift or verticality, but I just think if there's a guy who is six foot 10 or six foot 11, that can shoot above average on a high volume of threes, maybe, excuse me, maybe throw in some, some shot versatility while having passing ability. Like, I think that's useful. Um, and especially if you're towards the back end of the second, like I think uh, he got mocked by Gavoni to Oklahoma city in the second yesterday. Um, so he's somebody I would definitely look at if you're looking at an international draft and stash guy. Got you. Awesome. So guys, we're going to move on now around the NBA, but first, and, and we don't have a lot of time, so we're not going to get through this as much. So hopefully I'll be able to have Mark on again and we'll be able to touch on this stuff a little bit more. But again, I, I told you the beginning, Mark is not just known for his great basketball IQ and takes and content, but also some interesting, I'll say interesting food takes. So the first question I have, Mark, is what temperature do you eat your steak? You, <laughs> um, I think anybody who eats steak above medium needs to just not eat steak. My God. Um, I'm a medium to medium rare person. Like uh, the better the cut of meat, the closer it is to rare, in my opinion. I, I would like you to explain your tomato and watermelon. Steak. <laughs> uh, both are okay. So you, you, if you really contemplate it, both are fairly watery. Uh, they're both red. Obviously, they're both fruits, technically, even though I don't really ascribe to tomato being a fruit. Um, I just don't really find the value in tomato or watermelon like i get it with tomato i just can't stand what like i'm not a big fan of tomato chunks or slices like i'd, I'd rather have uh like 
diced tomato i'm fine with but if there's just a ton of like i don't want a giant chunk of tomato in anything i'm eating so i think so, it's but just you kind will of put like, it on like a cheeseburger or something like that or yeah in like a that's salad. fine but that's, you, yeah, that's okay with me you're you're out on watermelon because like I, I am very out on watermelon i so, think watermelon is just kind of a waste of space to be honest just <laughs> I, I throw salt on it and eat that stuff up so oh man <laughs> um okay last one I think we had. I think you and I went at it a little bit about this about Cinnabon, right? You're out on yeah. Cinnabon. I am out on Cinnabon. My girlfriend loves Cinnabon, though, so that makes things tougher. Okay. Um, Don't know yeah. her, but I, huge, like, I huge think fan of your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Cinnabon is fine. I just think it's overrated and it's kind of pricey. Um, I'd rather have like a Pillsbury Doughboy. Uh, okay, that's cinnamon. what it was because I brought up Krispy Kreme, and you're out on Krispy Kreme as well. Krispy Kreme is like just kind of. It's not that good. Um, Outside, like, unless you like go to a Krispy Kreme and get yes, one of the hot yes. and ready donuts, like that, that is worth it. The Krispy Kreme donuts that come in a box at Giant Eagle are terrible. Um, or just like in general, like I think their donuts aren't very good. Their coffee is not very good either. Um, I'm never going to get sponsored by them clearly, but I just, yeah, I'm not really there with Krispy Kreme. Um, I actually think so. The best donuts, um, if you're going to like a quote unquote coffee fast food place or Tim Hortons, uh, Tim Hortons definitely has the best donuts because Dunkin' Donuts donuts are terrible. Um, but yeah, Tim Hortons. I mean, Tim Tim Hortons then has like the worst coffee out of all of them. Um, but yeah, I I am not a big fan of Krispy Kreme donuts other than the regular glazed. I, so I'll have to check out a Tim Hortons because I've never I've never seen one of those. Never. I mean, must be obviously a regional thing, or I'm just or I'm just not looking. But um, it's mostly Canadian, and there's some oh, in, okay. uh, in like Ohio where I'm at. I agree with the Krispy Kreme thing, though. Like, I think there is definitely a difference in Krispy Kreme of walking into the store and grabbing one off the little whatever, you know, fresh out, and the ones you get, you know. I mean, I understand why they do it, obviously, but the ones you can walk into a convenience store and grab. So I agree with that, but. I don't know. I go to Taco Bell. I assume you don't like. What, what's I t- love Taco Bell, Let's man. Go. Taco okay. Bell's great. Hey, this has gone much different than I anticipated because we agreed on the steaks very much and Taco Bell. So like this, this is uh, has gone a little different than I anticipated. Anyone who slanders Taco Bell is just lying to themselves, man. I, I think like it's how I look at, at Little Caesars too. Like you know the value you're getting. Um, I know it's not really that good of food, but also like for how much I'm paying for how quickly I'm getting it. This is fantastic. Like where else am I going to get a quesadilla in two minutes? Like it's, 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 it's valuable to me. And regardless of the after effects of any of that stuff, it's worth it in the moment. So exactly. <laughs> so, all right, we, we got to get back to the draft. Uh, thank you for bearing with us. If you're not into the food takes, um, uh, listeners, but we'll get back to the draft. Um, so Indy cornrows, Pacers guy, what are the Pacers doing at number 13? Uh, I am not sure what the Pacers are going to do, to be completely honest. Uh, they've thrown out, I mean, a lot of stuff has come out that has just kind of led me to believe that I'm, I don't know what they're doing. Um, right now, like stuff came out today. Um, I think it was from Kevin O'Connor. No, it was, uh, it was Zach Lowe. I have to listen to the podcast though, but I had a friend send it to me that, uh, Zach Lowe has heard of talks of a Brogdon, uh, for Lonzo sign and trade swap, which I don't understand. Um, I personally like I think Lonzo Ball is a good basketball player um I also think he's a very misunderstood basketball player like he's really just not a lead ball handler he's a good playmaker but not downhill he's not bending a defense for you he's going to continue some some like a play that got the defense bent already like he's just more of a wing to me and that's not meant as a slight like some people take that as a slight for whatever reason that's more just like being realistic about where Lonzo's game is right now um 
And Brogdon is just like he is the guy who puts the initial dent in in a defense for a team. Not consistently. Like I don't. I think he's more of like a one and a half than a than a real lead guard. But still, like he's very good doing what he does. And right now, he's just a better player than Lonzo. So I don't understand that deal, frankly. Like I'm sure there would maybe be more to it. But if that's like an outright swap, I don't get it. And even if there is something else coming back from New Orleans, it doesn't really like that just fundamentally changes the Pacers in a way that isn't great because uh, they really would just lack an actual downhill threat like Karis LeVert gets there sometimes, but depends whether or not he's pulling up from 10 or 12 feet like he has a tendency to do. Um, but, I mean, like I think that's something where if that trade were to happen, there has to be a concurrent trade after it or they have a plan with the 13th pick to make it make sense because it doesn't make sense if that's the only trade that happens. I mean, like with the 13th pick, what my hope is, uh, is that they'll really swing for the fences um, because this is the first lottery pick they've had since they drafted Miles Turner six years ago. Um, and they just frankly have not drafted well, in all honesty, like or even if they've drafted OK, like it just hasn't worked out well. Part of that is, you know, when you're a team who's always trying to make the playoffs and you have a deeper roster, it's hard to get some of those guys playing time. But like. You look at drafting Yoga Batadze two years ago, and while he probably was the best pick available, he was not the best pick available for your team uh, when you already have two starting centers who are commanding $37 million together. Like, he hasn't played a thousand minutes yet in his NBA career because of that. And I think that stunts the guy's growth. Like, he's still shown growth, but like, he should have played eight or 900 more minutes in the NBA. And he looks vastly different as a player. Like, I mean, again, not to keep up bringing that you're a coach, but like, you know, like getting actual on-court reps means so much more than playing practice. Like that's where your your real growth is going to come from. So like I look at this and I think the the hope is like a marriage of, of a guy who is going to see court time while also having upside. So my hope is somebody like maybe Moses Moody falls to 13, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but he's somebody who I think could factor in pretty early um, while providing some real lineup versatility. And I believe in his upside quite a bit. Um, I like Jaden Springer a ton. Um, he's a little bit weirder of a fit because he's more of a combo guard coming into the NBA. And I think he's a guy who could be a lead guard eventually. Um, but like just in terms of how many guys there are on the Pacers roster that are small wings or combo guards makes it murkier for how he fits in. Um I really like the idea of swinging on Sharif Cooper because he has one of the elite skills in the NBA draft. Like he's probably the second best passer behind Cade or, or Josh Giddy. Um, and I think that he will definitely be there at 13 unless the team really surprises us. Um, like there are real questions like, yeah, he, he doesn't, he obviously has a lack of stature. Um, he's not a good defender. He can't shoot right now, but at the same time, I think you look at somebody who can pass like he can and see the court and um, bend a defense, and there's nobody on the team who can do that right now. Um, and I love the idea of getting a guy like that and saying, okay, we're going to find ways to make it work because we need talent. Um, and he's a guy who brings that. But my impression, and based on everything that's been reported, is that they'll go with uh, somebody like Corey Kispert or Chris Duarte, who I think it's not like those are bad picks in the lottery. Safe like picks, I can understand. Right? Yeah. I can understand taking either of those guys in the lottery, but. I just think when you finally have your first lottery pick in six years, you cannot use that on a rotation player, like just selling out for a rotation player. Um, and maybe that's a short-sighted way of looking at it, but I just think, like when, especially since you're a team that's never in the lottery, this is your real, and you're not a free agency destination, this is your real chance to maybe 
get some kind of homegrown talent who you can build around. Um, and while the team isn't trying to rebuild or anything right now, like I think if you're able to add a player like Moses Moody or Jaden Springer or Sharif Cooper, like those are guys who could, could help contribute off the bench right now. Um, we'll still probably having some speed bumps, but like maybe you're able to help grow them into being about a, a bigger part of your roster in two or three years. And that elevates what you're doing. So I think there, there should be some, some credence to looking at, um, you know, drafting some players with real upside. Not that Corey Kisper, Chris Duarte don't have that, but it just, there is definitely a difference in it. No, that's very interesting. I think that's, you have to take that into account with every team in the lottery that they may be in a different position in, you know, whether it's the Pistons who we like to call it restoring because that's what Troy Weaver calls it, but whether it's a team that's rebuilding, a team like the Warriors who like their mentality is going to be completely different. In my opinion, they're picking at seven and 14 and if they end up packaging those or whatever happens, but if they make those selections, you have to think, especially based off what Draymond said, that they're going to pick guys who can contribute next year. Maybe not a lot of upside, but probably going to contribute next year because they're getting clay back and they're trying to win now, I would assume, with Steph and, you know, kind of aging. So it's just kind of funny how a teams being in different positions um, or maybe how they view themselves and what position they're in can completely change the direction they go with each pick. Yeah, no, exactly. It's um, I think a lot of times uh, what the board is going to end up looking like at the end of the day on Thursday looks very different from how we have it set up. Um, like especially after pick probably four it feels like and even four feels kind of up in the air but um, like I I just have really no confidence in what the board is going to look like after the fourth or fifth pick so we have a few minutes here so I want to finish up and I want to start back there at the top you talked about the fourth pick I want to start at number two so let's say Cade goes number one to the Pistons just give me who you think each team should draft and we're assuming no trades so the Rockets at number two should draft Evan Mobley for me. The Cavs at number three then should draft Jalen Green. The Raptors at number four. Uh, Jalen Suggs. And the Magic at number five. Josh Giddy. Okay, so first I think Jalen. I have my opinion. I think Suggs is a great fit in Toronto. Like I just I I think he's an heir apparent to Kyle Lowry there. That's my opinion. Again, as someone that doesn't do this a lot, but I feel like that's a good transition from Lowry to him. Giddy at five. That is interesting. Yeah. So my thing with him is I uh, I definitely buy into a. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. B. I think my biggest philosophy shift this year, especially in watching the draft and also just watching a lot of basketball in general, uh, I think it's just trying to understand that playmaking is the most valuable thing on the court at any given time. Um, like you, like we've like we mentioned, you you can teach somebody how to shoot, you can teach somebody how to play defense. Well, obviously there are athletic limitations that that take place in that, but you really just cannot teach somebody feel for the game and their ability to see the court. And Josh Giddy is probably the best pass in the draft. It's between him and Kate, obviously, and I think Sharif's right around there. But he's six foot eight and has a functional handle and has the audacity to to pass, which is important. Like he's not a guy who's just gonna academy brain things, like looking at somebody like Teo Maladon, who is always wants to make the right play. Like Josh Giddy doesn't want to just win, he wants to destroy you when he makes plays. And I think that's really important for looking at somebody who you're trying to build into, you know, a, a a higher end player um like i think there are questions about his uh athleticism which are fair but i also think again you have to look at he's really young 
do you trust that your strength and conditioning program and uh, nutritionists and everybody's going to be working with him in your organization when he gets to a pro level organization? Can you get a little bit more out of him if he has the ball in his hands because you can you can you can find some flexibility in his legs that he doesn't currently have because he had really stiff legs he didn't didn't really get a lot of bend. Um, can he improve his handle just a little bit? Is the shooting off the dribble going to be there? Because even if like if you just get a little bit out of the handle and a little bit out of um, a little like maybe five to ten percent added athleticism, and he becomes a, a capable off the dribble shooter, like that is a guy who could be your lead ball handler on a team um, because of because of what his passing vision is. And like we talked about earlier, being able to leverage that with scoring. And I think if he's able to become like he was taking off the dribble threes and it wasn't perfect, but like it started to hit a, a rate where I was like, okay, we, we've got something here. Uh, as the NBL season went on. And I think you just look at that. And for me, I know it's a big swing, but like I think with the fifth pick, the Orlando Magic needs somebody who can do that because they just don't have anybody who I have confidence in to lead their offense right now or to be a high-level playmaker. Like I think Markel Fultz is really good, but there are just very real concerns with the health um, overall and, and him finding the scoring to leverage his playmaking. Um, and I think Josh Giddy is a worthy swing at five for me. Interesting. I say so that that would probably spell whether or not the end of Markel Fultz, at least the end of. Oh Mar- no, I wouldn't even say it's the end of Markel Fultz. But he's it's probably just more your like second the, yeah. unit guy now. Yeah, or it, like I wouldn't even say that. Like it just depends on how things would swing out. Like I, I would go into it like my goal of if if I'm drafting Josh Giddy is to have him become the lead ball handler on my team. That's not that's not a guarantee. And that's what happens when you're getting to like some of these, uh, some of these other picks. Like I just think with Orlando is at with where Orlando is at, and especially having two top ten picks. Like I think that they need to swing on somebody. Like I don't want them to just take a safe pick, which I don't really think there's necessarily a safe pick up here. But point being, like I think he is a guy who really could change the outlook for the organization, and if they really fully buy into him. Um, and I still think like uh, like you can buy into him without like necessarily losing a ton from from Markel, um, and Markel might miss part of the season too, um, based off injury, which just sucks. But um, yeah, I I am very much so all in on Josh Giddy at five. Okay, final question, Mark, before I let you go, um, Kaminga. Then that's a guy who you know at a, a certain point this draft was a top five, and then it was a top four. I, I still think it's top three. I think Suggs probably goes four, but to me it's a top three. But Kaminga seems to have bounced around. Some people still have him at five. Scotty Barnes all of a sudden is starting to get a lot of that pub. But sticking to Kaminga, where do you have him? I have Jonathan Kaminga 13 on my board right now. Okay. Um, it's really tough with him because he's like, like we talked about a little bit with Josh Christopher earlier. Like um, he's a guy who the flashes are really awesome. Um, and the same thing with like talking about Kai Jones, but like Kai Jones has a more advanced feel for the game right now than Jonathan Kaminga does, which is tough. Um, like I, I, I don't like to just equate production to everything, but like Kaminga really struggled efficiency wise, um, especially after the first three games in the G League. Um, he's really difficult because 
you can and I'm still higher on him than the general consensus on on draft Twitter. Like, and I, I don't necessarily like consider myself part of draft Twitter, but like it is kind of a there is like a, a consensus group there. But like, I think a lot of people have really dropped on him as the season as the season went on and um, as the draft cycle has gone on. And I think it's gone a little bit too far. Like, I still think with the athletic tools and what he could be in the NBA, like I don't see him as a guy who could be a primary because I just don't think the feel is there. Um, but I think he's somebody who could maybe control some of the offense. And if he's able to leverage anything, like he's going to be a good player, especially if he can figure things out defensively too. Like not to go on a really long rant, but like a lot of people were like, oh, he doesn't try hard. His motor sucks. And I think it's more just, he really just doesn't process the game well right now because he, he, he I mean, he just started playing, I think three years ago. And like, you could see at the G league, like there are moments on defense where he's just kind of standing around or same on offense because the game is moving so fast and he clearly is not caught up to it yet. And that's what happens if you have like if you go from never having played basketball to being thrown into playing against NBA athletes three years later, like that is hard. Um, but he all it's also important to know, like he just did not play well for the most part. Like there are moments where it looks good, like he can really generate separation. Um, he can get to the rim with like some real gumption. But the problem is just the touch isn't there yet. And I think that's something that could come with time. Like he could, he could be somebody who has an accelerated growth curve because he's still relatively new to the game. But I think you also have to just take into to, to account, like he's not a guy who's ready to play at the NBA level. Like I think he's somebody who's going to need more G league time still. Um, I, I just think that there's been this idea that he's like ready to be a guy from day one and he's going to, well, there are going to be road bumps. Like he's, he's going to be able to do this and that. And I just, I don't think we're there yet. Like, He's a guy who I actually kind of hope goes to OKC because I think they would have the time to try and develop him. Um, but I worry about him going to a team like Orlando that's just going to say, hey, all right, come play for us now because we have nobody else who can handle the ball for us. So um, I, I, I just like I think he's got a lot of potential, but there is a long way to go before he's getting uh, some of that uncovered. I mean, I, I say his his rise and then fall or movement around I guess whatever has been fascinating and I think that's a sign of what's to come Thursday night um, with the draft in general I don't think I think there's going to be some surprises for us I think there's going to be guys that fall I think something's going to happen early maybe not top three four but you know starting at five I think that that really surprises us or shocks us and that's why I'm so fascinated for this draft yeah, I agree, man. I uh, The biggest thing for me, too, is I don't really care about being right. It's more like I just hope every single guy gets to the right situation for them because, like, we've seen so many guys who I think if they were in a different situation um, that it would work out differently for them. Uh, so I'm just really hopeful that, that everybody everybody wins on, on Thursday in the draft. But um, we'll see how it goes, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark, so much for joining me. Um, I want to give you a chance here. Let everybody know where they can listen to you. I listened to your podcast this morning as as I was prepping for this. It's great stuff. So plug that. And uh, I think you've started a, a Patreon and everything else. So let them know where they can get your stuff. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, man. This is a lot of fun. No, I'd I, love to, we'll, have to, we'll have to definitely talk again sometime. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll definitely have you back if you're willing. Awesome. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, you can find my my patreon is uh patreon.com slash m schindler uh if you can contribute i would appreciate it greatly and if not i totally understand like this is just me i just graduated from college two months ago so i'm still trying to figure out what Congrats. a full-time job Congrats, in the, thank Mark. you um i'm still trying to figure out what a full-time job in the nba looks like um we're getting there we've had progress it's not there yet but i think in due time uh, and you can find pretty much anything i do on on twitter at m schindler nba 
um yeah i I appreciate you a ton for having me on man absolutely we'll definitely do it again thank you guys for everybody listening for episode 39 coming friday i'll be joined by matt Derry from the pistons pod and locked on lions for some post-draft analysis and reactions thank you to everyone for their contributions and support of motor city hoops i did notice some new ratings and reviews on apple uh, podcast and you guys have no idea how much that means to me it's very much appreciated i thought that was awesome thank you so much please continue to join me and my guests for each new episode i appreciate all of you greatly. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.